Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for the Word of God. Praise the Lord for music. Praise the Lord. It's like, praise the Lord. And everybody's like, amen. <laughs> praise the Lord for the Word of God. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. <laughs> amen. Amen. Happy Sabbath, my friends. I am excited about today's message because I get to share with you the not-so-secret recipe. <laughs> you say, well, if it's not-so-secret, chances are I got it in my cookbook already. Well, we're going to find out by the end of this. Praise the Lord. It is a blessing, a blessing to be able to share this message and be I'm honored to be able to be here again at my home church. Um, I do a lot of traveling. I'm not here as often as I probably would like to be, but the Lord has my wife and I out traveling, conducting revivals and evangelistic trainings and concerts and evangelistic series. And, uh, and so I had to choose this week uh, while Pastor Loma came was away because I'm also going to be leaving next week to conduct a revival in Marrero, Louisiana. And then from there, all the way up, we're going to be driving to Tacoma, Washington, where we'll be conducting a full month-long evangelistic series. So I'm not going to be here uh, before Thanksgiving, otherwise I would have tried to get a sermon closer to that time, uh, but, uh, but you'll kind of see that uh, this has an interesting theme. Again, the not-so-secret recipe. Let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we dare not take on this most important topic without your guidance. Father, I'm, I'm asking once more for the leadership and guidance of your Holy Spirit. That every word, every thought, everything that's communicated today is in accordance to your word and in harmony with your will. And Father, I pray that each and every one of us will not just treat this as just another sermon. Yes, in the day and age that we live in, we have the wonderful privilege of hearing the spoken and preached word week in and week out. But Father, I pray that this sermon will stick to our minds, that we'll never forget it, and that we will apply it today, Lord. We thank you for your never-ending love, grace, and mercy as always. And we ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. It is unmistakably fall here in southern Illinois. <laughs> the leaves are falling. Anybody got some leaves in their yard already? The leaves have got your rakes ready. Uh, some of you are like, no, I've got, a, I've got a mower for that. I'll just mulch it away, huh? The leaves are, how many love the beautiful colors of the leaves that are turning? My goodness. Fall is one of my favorite, uh, it, it's just, it's one of my favorite uh, seasons. Because it's an opportunity that I have to be able to just drive around at this time of the year, pick some opportunities, drive around and take in the beauty, the, 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 the yellow leaves and the orange leaves and the brown leaves and the, what other colors are there? Red leaves and the, I already said yellow, gold, we'll say gold. That's about it, right? Those are the fall colors. But they're beautiful, right? You just look up and it's just bursting and bright and it's beautiful. The temperatures are gradually dropping. Woo! Got your blankets out yet? <laughs> oh man, we've even had to turn the heat on a couple times at our house. Have you guys had to do that yet? 
All right, I recognize some people who's watching around the world right now. You're probably, you may be in a tropical environment saying, what in the world are you talking about, Ryan? But here in southern Illinois, fall is on. And, uh, you know, the grasses even begin to turn that golden color, right? And it's sad because it's slowed its growth. I, I love to mow, and I can't mow as much as I used to. <laughs> The retail stores are putting out all their fall decor. You can even smell a hint of cinnamon in the air, especially at Hobby Lobby. <laughs> you can even smell, uh, excuse me, I read that already, but you can really tell, here it is, you can really tell the fall season has arrived when you start to see the abundant stacks of pumpkin pie at the stores. Yeah, now I like some pumpkin pie. Now, I mentioned earlier, you know, Thanksgiving's just around the corner, but you know what, ladies, we know how you guys are. You, you start planning a little early, right? You've already pulled out your, your, your cookbooks, and you're planning what's going to be fixed and cooked and all that, and prepared for Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's just it's an exciting part of the year. I love Thanksgiving. I love the time we can come together with family, visit, and just commune together. And uh, you know what, really... It's pie season. Let's just say that, right? It's pie season. And, uh, and I mentioned already pumpkin pie. Pumpkin pie is one of my favorite pies. You know, there's the sweet potato pie and the apple pie. And what, what kind of pies do you guys like? What comes to your mind? What's your favorite pie? Pecan pie and meringue. Okay. What is it? Lemon meringue. Who else? Cherry pie. Blueberry pie, oh my goodness, there's just all kinds of wonderful, wonderful pies. But I can tell you one of the best, uh, the best pie in all the world is, is a pie that is determined and cooked by my, my uh, I call her my grandmother because it's Stephanie's grandmother. We call her Grana, and she, she fixes and, and prepares the best chocolate pie in the world. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're saying, well, but Ryan, that can't be true because my mother or my grandmother is the best chocolate pie. No, no. Grana's chocolate pie is one in a million. It's amazing. In fact, I think uh, Angela might have actually, I don't know if Angela's here, but Angela might have actually tried that, pie, that chocolate pie uh, when, uh, years ago when she first arrived here. I think I made it, but it's just, it's amazing. It's pie season. But I didn't come here to talk today about cherry pie or chocolate pie or pumpkin pie. I brought you here today, my friends, to talk about the greatest pie rep recipe of all. Humble pie. In fact, by the time you leave today, you're going to have the legitimate recipe to humble pie. Have you ever had someone tell you or you've heard someone say, well, that person just needs a big slice of humble pie. Well, we talk a lot about it. I have the recipe. It's not my original recipe, by the way. I just discovered it, and it's found in the Bible. And I'm going to share it with you this morning. Is that okay? In fact, I did a little something different this morning. Normally, I would, you know, I, I, I praise God for, you know, the blessing of multimedia and, you know, the, the projection and, you know, the softwares that help us to do, you know, do, all, do all of this beautiful, fancy projection of, of scriptures on the screen. I purposely did not give the, the, the audiovisual team my slides this morning because I want you to actually use your Bible. Can we do that? Can we have a good old-fashioned Bible study this morning? You brought your Bible. Now, some of you said, well, I didn't bring my Bible because I thought it was going to be on the screen. Well, 
We threw you a curveball this morning, didn't you? If you didn't bring your Bible, that's okay. Just listen very carefully. Uh, But I do want to remind us of our theme text here. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. This is conditional. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will, notice, hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. We've heard this text all of our lives, right? We've got it memorized. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Notice that's the first step. If you will humble yourself and pray and seek his face and turn from your wicked ways, then the Lord will hear us. My friends, we all need a nice big slice of humble pie. That's just the truth. And you know what? Not just one slice. This is the one pie that you can eat an abundance of and never get enough of. You know, the Bible talks a lot about humility And it gives us many, many different examples of those men and women who were humble examples in the Bible. Now, this doesn't mean that they were perfect by any means. This doesn't mean that they didn't, you know, mess up or make mistakes as human beings. But they, and all all that they could muster up in all of their obedience and all of their abiding in God, they were humble examples. Let me give you a couple right now. Job. Job was a humble man. He was also humbled. But Job went through a lot. In fact, it's interesting because when all the mess was being rained down upon Job's life, it was his own wife who said those famous words, Hey, bro, curse God and die. Something's wrong here. Just curse God and die. Praise God that he didn't listen to his wife. Because all that he had went through and all that the Lord brought him through, the heat of those moments, Job was a very humble man before the Lord. What about Joseph? Was Joseph a humble man? Did that brother go through through some stuff? That brother went through some stuff. I mean, we're talking about years in prison. Most of us probably just just a few weeks into prison will be shaking the fist at God saying, Lord, why me? Why do I have to go? Lord, I'm trying to serve you and and I'm I'm, I'm keeping your commandments and I I, I return my tithe and I I go to church faithfully. And we would come up with all the works-related reasons for why we shouldn't be experiencing the bad things in our life. Joseph Not him. It says in verse 19 of Genesis chapter 50, and we're going to read through 21. It says, Joseph said to them, listen to this, beautiful. He says, do "Do not be afraid for I am in the place of God. This is is after all that he's been through, all that his brother, the way that his brothers treated him. And now he's just met his brothers. He's addressed his brothers. And you would think that, you know, somebody who went through all of that, they'd be a little hardened in the heart. Not Joseph. He was full of the spirit of the Lord. He's speaking to his brothers. He says, do not be afraid for I am in the place of God but as for you you meant evil against me but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive and then he goes on to say now therefore do not be afraid I will provide for you and your little ones and he comforted them and spoke kindly to them is that evidence of a humble man what about Ruth was Ruth humble yes she was all that she had went through and losing her husband, and going on and with Naomi, God had special plans for her. She was a humble lady before the Lord. Was David a humble man? 
Sometimes. <laughs> he, had, he, had, he had his moments, right? Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, I love this. As he's pouring his heart out to God, he says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? That's the words of a humble man, a man that recognizes that he and his existence is only because of God. Was Moses a humble man? <laughs> In fact, Numbers chapter 12, verse 3 explicitly says so. Numbers chapter 12, verse 3 says, Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. You see, if God is going to use you as he did David, as he did Moses, as he did Ruth, as he did Joseph, as he did Job and many of the others, if God's going to use you and bring you to a place where you, are being, you have become the full, to the fullest extent, all that God wants you to do and wants you to be, that is that you have to be a humble person. Was John the Baptist humble? You're not humble unless, if you, if you, you're humble for sure if you make a, a remark like this. He must increase and I must decrease. You see, uh, John the Baptist might have been a fiery man, you know, a fiery preacher, and someone who did not in any way uh, uh, sugarcoat the truth of God's word. But yet, through all of that zeal and that passion and through all of that boldness, he was always humble before the Lord. He was full of the Holy Spirit, as the Bible says. I'll tell you another man who was humbled and became humble, and that's Paul. Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. As we read these texts, again, we're simply highlighting the fact that the Bible has many examples and gives us many, many different illustrations through the lives of his people, through the lives of his servants, that he expects us to also strive to be humble servants of the Lord. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to begin reading in verse 4. You just sense the humility pouring out from this statement as Paul has been through some stuff. And it says here, he's speaking, he's as though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Notice, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He's listing his his spiritual resume. You know, and have you ever met someone who does that? You ever heard someone, they're always talking about themselves and listing their spiritual resume of all that they have done? Paul lists it, but then he follows it up with this in verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, verse 8, yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them, and I'm reading New King James here, it says, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. But I certainly prefer the King James version over this, especially with this word rubbish, because it's a little more accurate in the original language. You know what Paul said? He counted all of his accolades in comparison to the grace of Jesus Christ and all that he had gained in Christ. You know what he counted it? Not just rubbish. See, you say rubbish, you know, it sounds like trash. Like, oh, it's trash. Trash is a, it's, it's a, it's a dirty word, right? Trash. But he, 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 even, he even went lower than that. He says, I count it 
as dung. Dung. Now, there's some of you that don't know what dung is. It's poo-poo. That's what Paul said. He said, I count all of my works, all that I've done, all of my do, he says, I count it as do-do. That's the truth. That's what he's saying here. Paul had been humbled. The more he grew in Christ Jesus, the more humble he became. In other words, all of these people that we have just listed, every single one of them, they had come to learn the recipe to humble pie. They had eaten a few slices of humble pie in their life. And then there's those in the Bible that are humbled. They're not humble, but yet God humbles them. There's many examples I could give to this, but one, one that particularly comes to mind is Israel as a nation. God wanted them to be the beacons of light to all of the rest of this dark world. Did Israel always follow in the humble plan of God? Oh, well, you go read your Bible. You'll see that's not the case always. But yet in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, these words are recorded. It says, so he humbled you, speaking to Israel. He says, so he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which did not, which did not know nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by, tell me if these words sound familiar, that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Israel had a little bit of a problem with that. The Lord would speak. Sometimes they might follow. Other times it was like, eh. You know, just kind of do my thing. They didn't like humble pie, but the Lord wanted them to be a humble people. Another text that comes to mind, and then we're going to get into the recipe. You can't really, you know, talk about humility and being humble and not spend some time in the fourth chapter of James. Go with me to James chapter 4. I just want to read a couple of texts for you here. James chapter 4. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 6. We're going to read verses 6 and 10. Very simply put, very clearly communicated, James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, but he gives more grace. How many could use a little more grace in your life? Okay, about 24 of you. All right, we'll get the rest of you guys along. Uh, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the... All right, let me ask you this. How many of you want some humble pie? Okay, about 13 of you. All right, we've got to get on board here. I know for a fact some of you want more grace in your life. Amen? Now let's try this one more time. How many really would like a little bit more grace in their life? Okay, that, well, the, the only way you can have that is if you eat some humble pie. That's what James chapter 4, verse 6 is saying right here. God resists the proud but gives grace to the... To the humble. Now notice verse 10. Just skip down a few verses. Notice verse 10. Same theme, same words. He says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Notice it's not you doing the lifting. It's not you exalting yourself. If you humble yourself, he will lift you up. Is anybody in here as excited about this as I am? Humility is not an easy thing. Humility is not a natural thing for you and I coming into this world with a fallen sinful nature, always plagued by the pulls of this direction and that direction and that direction based on the temptations of the enemy. But God has provided a recipe. Woo! 
I said, God's provided a recipe. You guys want the recipe? Some of you ladies already got your pen and paper out. I'm going to put this in my cookbook. I'm gonna... <laughs> All right, we're going to treat it as a legitimate recipe, the recipe for humble pie. Are you ready for this? Of all of the examples in the Bible, who do you think was the most humble? Jesus Christ. Now we go to Philippians 2. So turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians 2. A portion of our humble pie recipe begins right here in the scriptures found in Philippians chapter 2. In fact, right above, I don't know if you have one of those Bibles that has like the little, the little subtitles or subheadings before each section that describes what you're about to read about, but my Bible had it, and in Philippians chapter 2, right before verse 5, do you know what it says? It says, the humble and exalted Christ. You see, we naturally... As, as human beings in our fallen human nature, we naturally desire to be recognized and acknowledged and exalted. We naturally have this tendency, this pull, this draw to want people to see me. Hey, look at me. Recognize me. Love me. Treat me. <laughs> History is filled Filled with examples of men trying to exalt themselves as high to be God. But there's only one religion that tells the story of a God who humbled himself to be man. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Here it is. Get this right. This is our first ingredient. You ready, ladies? Ready, gentlemen? Those of you who cook. Here we go. Our first ingredient for humble pie. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Are we together this morning? Okay, so here it is. I'm going I'm to try to make this as, as recipe as possible, okay? So really, if we were going to equate this, we would probably say right now, our first ingredient that's going into the bowl is we need about seven cups of Jesus brain. A.K.A. the mind of Jesus, the mind of Christ. You see, it's a state of mind. It's a heart issue. You have people all the time, just follow your heart, just follow your heart. No, 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 no. You don't follow your heart because the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things, but yet the Bible also equates the heart to the mind. And yes, we are to have a transformation of our mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, what does the Bible say? Some of you can probably quote it. It says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your, of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We need a mind transformation. We need a mind overhaul. Some of us need to just, 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 you know, just dump it out. Some of us got to get the junk out so we can let the good stuff in. Amen? Sometimes that, that process can be difficult and even hurtful sometimes, but God does not cut us to kill us, right? He cuts us to heal us. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, it says, For the weapons of our warfare, listen to this, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 and 5, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Amen? Oh, but I love verse 5, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Notice this, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Do we need a different mind, my friends? 
My friends, the, 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 the first most important ingredient, not, not the most important because they're all equally important, but the first ingredient that we must put into our bowl if we're going to mix us up and whip up a nice big batch of humble pie is we need to make sure that we have adopted the mind of Christ. A big old pile of Jesus brain. Let's go back to our text in Philippians 2. Just keep your finger there because we're going to come back to it. And I'm going to make some other scriptural references in between. Philippians 2, we're continuing on in verse 6. So it says, let this mind be in you who is also in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Do you know what that means when it says that he made himself of no reputation? We're talking about the king of the universe. We're talking about the person who deserves all attention, who deserves all reputation, right? The greatest of reputations. But he made himself of no reputation. So here's our second ingredient. Are you ready for this? What was the first one? What did we put in the bowl? The mind, Jesus brain. What, what did, what's the first one? Jesus brain, the mind of Jesus, okay? The mind of Christ. Now here's our second ingredient, okay? A humble person does not care about their popularity status or social reputation when it comes to service. In other words, we had seven cups of Jesus brain. We put it in there. Now... Here comes the next ingredients, five cups of approximately five cups of anti-self-exaltation. Let me say that one more time, five cups of anti-self-exaltation. Have you ever read the 53rd chapter of Isaiah? You see, Jesus came into this world not to just, you know, be... You know, look at me, look at me, look at me. He made himself of no reputation, the lowest of lowest. And how did he do it? What was the response he got from the people when he done that? Isaiah 53, verse 2 and 3. You want to follow in the example, the righteous example of Jesus? Put on your big boy shoes. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Jesus made himself the lowest of lowest, reputation-wise, social-wise, so that he could reach you. We live in a day and age where we're all about the pretty, all about the handsome, all about the good looking. You know, when Jesus was walking this earth, you ladies probably not, would not have not considered him a good looking man. He probably said, oh, that's such a nice man. 
poor thing. Bless his heart. I'm just going off of what the scripture says. But what did John say again in John chapter 3 verse 30? The one whom we will not esteem, the one we've hid our eyes from, the one who came into this world and said, no, 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 no. I didn't come for you to serve me. I came to serve you. What did John say in John 3.30? He must He must increase, but I must decrease. But Brother Danny, he don't really look that great on camera. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we can't have that brother. I mean, he's just he's something about him. He's just different. You see, we live in a world where it's all about the pretty things, the finer things. I'm not certain he's not saying that the finer things are in and of themselves a sinful thing. But yet, the degradation of the human mind because of the temptations and the sin of the world has led us often to think and see in a way that is not like that of Jesus. What did Jesus say to his disciples? He said, when you pray, do it in private. Don't be like the... The Pharisees who go out in the open, and what was their motto? They would pray out in the open. Why? So they could be seen by men. And why did these brothers also do their, how, how did they do their, and why did they do their, their charitable deeds? They do certain nice little charitable deeds, but why? How did they do them? They did them in the open, and why? So that they could be seen by men. Right the opposite of the formula of Christ. In fact, one preacher wrote these words, and they cannot be more true. He said, humility is not about thinking less of yourself, but it is thinking of yourself less. Let me say that one more time. Humility is not about thinking less of yourself. No, 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 no. Please don't misunderstand this sermon. This sermon is not about, you know, you becoming so depressed about yourself. Of, you know, woe is me. No! We're not talking about you thinking less of yourself, but it does say here, as he said, but it is thinking of yourself less. So we've got seven cups of Jesus' brain, and now we've poured about five cups of, you remember? Anti-self-exaltation, right on there on top of it. You ready for the third one? Let's continue reading in Philippians 2. What does it say? It says in verse 7 of Philippians 2, but made himself of no reputation. We talked about that. But notice what it says, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. So there he is. He brought himself to the lowest of lowest, but not only did he bring himself to the lowest of lowest, Lord, you deserve to be served. Lord, you deserve to be worshipped. You deserve to be exalted. I should be serving you. He said, no, 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 no. You won't ever learn how to truly serve me until you let me serve you. Jesus came to be a slave, servant to man. That's a God I can worship. What? 
Our third ingredient, here it is. Humility means esteeming others more than yourself. Others-centered. So what's our third ingredient? You got your bowl? Seven cups of Jesus' brain? Five cups of anti-self-exaltation? Here we go. Six more cups. Here we go. Six cups of selflessness. Six cups of selflessness. Now, it's interesting that we're reading in Philippians 2. You got your finger there? Now, we've been reading verses 5 and onward, but you know, if you go right back to the top, right before verse 5 and you read verses 3 and 4, notice what it says, beautifully put. It says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Are we doing that, my friends? Do we care for each other? Are we there for each other? Are we only there for self? That's the definition of this mind. This mind. I love it. I love it. For those of you who didn't hear that at home, Elder Terry says that these words that we just read is the very definition of this mind. This mind being you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Love it. You know, it's interesting. We've heard these words a million times. In fact, I heard them. I wasn't out here earlier, but I heard them coming, I think, from a video you guys were watching. And someone quoted these words. But I tell you, I've learned that there's power, incredible power in these words I'm about to read. Because if we could only just comprehend them and put them to practice in our life, oh, how much our lives would change for the better. Tell me if these words sound familiar. Christ's method alone. (laughs) Right? I want to win a bunch of people for Jesus. I want to be a great witness for Jesus. Uh, This year, I've set my sights on winning five people to the church, one person to the church, three people to the church, ten people to the church. You know, I've shown up at meetings and, you know, people, you know, it's, 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 you know, based on faith. They're making these statements by faith, so I'm not here to kick the brethren down. But you go to these certain evangelistic meetings and, 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 you know, these churches, they really haven't done a lot of pre-work. By the way, that's about 99% of Adventist churches today. We love our evangelistic meetings. We love our reaping meetings. But my goodness, we're not going to do much pre-work. And so I'll have come into these meetings and you know, we'll have our organization meeting and I hear stuff like this all the time. Well, we're, we've already prayed about it. And we're looking to win. We're booking to baptize 20. It's like, all right. <laughs> uh, praise God. I mean, that's a wonderful thing to shoot for. But um, have you done any work? Well, we've paid someone to do it. We have a Bible worker. Hey, praise God for Bible workers. Am I kicking that? No. Praise God for Bible workers. But you know, the Bible worker can't win all the souls. The Bible worker can't do all the pre-work. So, so here we go. Let's go back to those famous words. Tell me if this, if this it sounds familiar. Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. And what is that true success? Just given Bible studies. Is that what it says? Just go give a bunch of Bible. Praise God for Bible studies. We should be giving Bible studies. We should be sharing the word of God with as many people as possible. But it goes on to say, 
Here's the method. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. You know what that is? That's other-centered. Oh, but it didn't stop there. He showed sympathy for them. He ministered to their... Oh, my goodness. He ministered to their needs and won their confidence. Then he bade them, follow me. He ministered to their needs. Let me tell you one of the, one of the worst witnesses we could ever be is when our brothers and sisters are in need and in all the, 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 all the, the, all the strength and energy they can muster up to share that with someone, that I'm in need of someone, I'm in need of something. And our response is, I'll pray for that. I'll pray about that. Oh, you're in need of this? You know what, I'll pray, I'll pray for that. You know, praise God for prayer. We're not kicking that at all. Should we pray for our brothers and sisters in need? Yes. Should we pray that God, you know, intercessory prayer is powerful. Should we pray that God provides for them? Absolutely. But oftentimes, you know, the avenue in which God will answer that prayer is for you to do what he's called us to do, is to meet the needs of our brethren. And when we've showed them the Jesus in us, then we win their confidence in what we're now going to share with them in God's word. Christ's method alone. But yet we live in a me first generation. You know, the one thing that just, I mean, fires me up is sometimes I'll get on Facebook and I'll see someone, and I've seen it often. This isn't just something. This ha- Like, I probably read this multiple times on a weekly basis from the thousands of different people that I have on Facebook. And it's quite interesting that I'm hearing more and more of this mentality of, well, I'm just going to get back to loving me first. I just need to get back to, to, you know, it's me first before anyone else. And while I understand the self-esteem aspect of, of that saying in the sense that, yes, we have to come to understand that we are a creation of God and, and that God brought us into this world for a reason and we do need to love ourselves in a spiritually healthy way to take care of ourselves and praise God that we're in this time alive, living during these interesting times for such a purpose of serving Him. Praise God. In that sense, yes, there should be some self-love and self-respect in that aspect. But when we start taking that concept in me first, me first everyone else, nope, I've got I've to meet my needs first. Then it becomes not other-centered, not the mind of Christ, but the mind of the devil. Because what did the devil say? I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit up on the mount of congregation in the sides of the Lord. I will be like the most high. Philippians 2, are we there? All right. And being, notice this is at verse 8, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. Okay, and he goes on to say, to the point of death, even the death of the cross. We're going to make the point here. He became what? He became obedient after he did what? He humbled himself. You ready for ingredient number four? Some of you are like, I don't really care at this point. Hmm. Here it is. Humility requires obedience to God. And you can even say that the opposite way. In order for you to obey, it requires humility. So our fourth ingredient, four cups 
of willing obedience. Four cups of willing obedience. Where I'm getting these cup measurements, just go with me on it. But it's got to make a great pie at some point, okay? John chapter 4, verse 34, guess what Jesus says? He says, it says, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What was Jesus' sole purpose when he came on this earth? To do the will of his father. You know what he had to do to do that? He had to be obedient. He had to die to self. He had to put his father's will over his own. That's why he says in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, you recognize these words. They sound, they just echo in our mind and hearts because right there in the garden of Gethsemane, as he's sweating drops of blood, he says right there in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, here's the key words, not my will, but yours be done. I love that. Father, not me, but you. Not what I want to do, but what you want me to do. Father, not how I might live, but the way you would want me to live. Father, not the, where, not the direction I want to go, but the direction you want me to go. Father, not how I want to respond to that person, but how you would have me to respond to that person. It becomes about what he wants for you rather than what you want for you. Matthew 7, verse 24 and 25. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, Jesus says... And does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. You see, when you, foundational, when you, when you build a foundation on the rock of Jesus Christ, you are building a foundation on the Mecca, the epicenter of humility. And in the house of God, which is foundation on Christ Jesus, there's always an abundance of slices of humble pie. There is a way which seems right to man. <laughs> Lord have mercy. <laughs> there is a way which seems right to man. You know, it's, it's, it becomes scary. Can I speak freely this morning? Well, of course I'm going to do it anyways. <laughs> it becomes difficult, especially within the church, because we expect the world, we expect the secular world to not understand an iota of what humble pie is. Well, you expect that of someone who doesn't know Christ, who's rebelling against Jesus. I get that. Where the devil has done a masterful work is slithering his way into the church. And right here, there is a way which seems right to men. I think one of the major things that, this, that, that God's church must have, and it will have it before Christ comes back, because remember, we're told that this church is going to appear as if it's going to fall. I mean, you, guys, let me tell you something. There's some, there's some shaky times coming. I don't think we're really, I don't think we can really fathom what's going to happen. There's going to be days we're going to wake up and think, what in the world's happening to the Seventh-day Adventist church? We can't even go to church this morning because some stuff's happening. I don't think we've even seen half the drama that's coming to this church, to God's remnant people. Not even half of it. But what makes things difficult is the devil has moved in, he set up camp, and, and he knows, he, see, the devil understands influence. He understands it. He gets it more than anyone. 
and what must occur before Christ comes back in order for this church to continue to stand. And we know that it will because we've already been told. We've read the back of the book. It's good news that there will be men who will stand firm on the thus saith the Lord. And no matter what culture says, no matter what our politically incorrect culture says, they will stand on it in the face of the harshest adversities. And they won't budge. But what makes things difficult is men of the cloth who claim they know God, who claim and maybe even have attributes of what it takes to be a great influential preacher or speaker, but yet those men think in a way that seems right to them. But that way is not in harmony with the plain word of God. My friends, know your Bibles. There are those among us right now, those among us in this church and in this world, that the devil has set up to use in very cunning and devising ways to steal away the sheep after themselves. Know your Bibles. Know your Bibles. Oh, here we go. Number five. This is where we start diving into some other aspects of text. We've got just two or three more ingredients, and then we're going to bring this to an end. Here we go. Number five, number our fifth ingredient. Humility requires a meek spirit. Humility requires a meek spirit. In other words, if we could add to our bowl now, what do we have so far? What do we have so far? Our first one is seven cups of Jesus' brain. There you go, my brother, the mind of Christ. Then we have five cups of anti Self-exaltation. You got that one? That's right. That's, no, that's five. Then we come back to six cups of selflessness. You guys got it? All right. You're going to remember this recipe. You're going to make some good humble pie later. Six cups of selflessness. Do you remember the next one? Then we have to have, we have to have five, or excuse me, let me go back down here. Six cups of selflessness is number three. I went a little bit too far. Four cups of willing obedience. Four cups of willing obedience. And then here's the next one. Three tablespoons of meekness. And you say, Ryan, that's only tablespoons. It's concentrated. It's concentrated. It's real concentrated. Woo! You want that concentrated meekness. It's that good stuff, all right? Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. What did Jesus say in his Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Titus chapter 3, verse 2. To speak evil of no one, he's giving counsel. To speak even of no, evil of no one. To be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. And of course, you know, there's no greater example of meekness than Jesus Christ because he says right there in Matthew chapter 11 verses 28 through 30, some of my favorite verses. He says, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you what? He's going to give you a rest you've never had before. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, a.k.a. Jesus Christ is all about some meekness. So get that super concentrated meekness. Three tablespoons is all you're going to need because it's going to blow up. It's going to be awesome when you get to this humble pie. It's going to taste great. Number six, here we go. Number six, our sixth ingredient. Humble people are quick to forgive others. Difficult to offend, oh, Lord Jesus, <laughs> and content to wait on God for vindication when they have been wronged. Now, I'm telling you, while I'm preaching this up here, my friends, I got a finger pointing right back at me because some of these up here, I'm going to need a massage therapist or somebody for my feet when I finish the sermon because as I'm reading through some of these, I'm saying, Lord Jesus, I need help. 
If you don't clean me up soon and help me become more meek, help me to become, you know, quick to forgive others, difficult to offend. But I tell you, you know, I, 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 I can let things roll off, but there's some things that I'm just like, you know, we sometimes we get that way, right? Something said or something, and we just like, you just want to retaliate, right? But yet a person who's eating humble pie, well, they're also eating two big concentrated tablespoons of mercy. You see, when you've experienced the mercy of God, you begin to treat others the way God treats us. Powerful. What did he say in Matthew 5, 7? Sermon on the Mount, he covered all the bases. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Even says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I can't wrap my mind around people who, who have, you know, well, I just, I just can't bring myself to forgive them. But yet they'll go in prayer and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. <laughs> Something's not working out. Jesus, I want you to forgive me of all the junk that I've done to you and others. <laughs> but that brother don't deserve mercy yet. I'm not there yet. You know, it's, it's, I recognize forgiveness is a gift. Forgiveness is something that's given by God and by the, through the Holy Spirit. But when you humble yourself to God, God can work in your life amazing things that you never, ever thought you could ever do or could ever accomplish in your life. It's amazing. So two tablespoons of mercy. Are you ready for the last ingredient? That's a big one. In fact, it's probably the biggest one. You can have all the rest of those, which are good. They're great. They're major aspects of this humble pie. And, and yeah, you could put those six ingredients together and you'll get something. But it'll be a little off. You know what I'm talking about. How many has ever baked a cake in here? You bake a cake and, and don't put any sugar in it, what's going to happen? Mm. Just saying. You leave an ingredient out. How many of you have ever made cake without flour? Doesn't work. You need all of them. Here it is. Number seven, humble people love. Humble people love because God is love. So, so okay, get this. This is a big pie, by the way, and you're going to need a big pan for it because we've got, so let's go through it. We've got seven cups of Jesus' brain, mind of Christ. We've got five cups of anti-self-exaltation. We've got six cups of selflessness. We've got five cups of, or is it four cups? Four cups of willing obedience. Then what do we have in our fifth one? We have three tablespoons of meekness. We have two tablespoons of mercy. Uh-oh. Here we go. You need one gallon of endless love. One gallon of endless love. That's a super concentrated gallon, by the way. <laughs> Woo. Give me some of that gallon of love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, what does the Bible say? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. 
He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And then Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. You see, many people, we read these and we see them as, you know, the, the individual fruits of the Spirit, right? But if you read your Bible, it does, the Bible doesn't say anything about the fruits of the Spirit. The Bible says nothing about fruits of the Spirit. The Bible says fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. So I'm going to submit to you, now this is my theory, can't prove it, but I'm going to submit to you that our Bible translators made a grammar error here, punctuation error. Because really it should say in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, colon. I hated English growing up. I was one of the, you could tell by the way I talk, I'm a country boy through and through. I need somebody to train me how to talk half the time. The fruit of the Spirit is love, colon, and then everything that comes after it is a description of God's character. Love. What is it? Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against, no, against such there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit is love. <laughs> Praise God for love. Because we love Him because He first loved us. So the last text we're going to go to in closing today is found in 1 Corinthians 13. Now you guys have never read this passage before, I know. I'm going to read it for you today for the first time. It's going to sound amazing. You're going to listen to it like you're listening to it for the very first time. And it's going to mean something to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, what verse? What verse did we go to? I didn't say which verse. <laughs> First Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 1. Paul says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels. Paul doesn't, he didn't speak with tongues of angels. He's saying, even if, even if I could do that. He's saying, but I have not love. I have become sounding brass or a clinging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries. Did Paul understand all mysteries? No, he's saying even if I could understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Did Paul have all knowledge? No, he's saying even if I had these things. And though I have all faith. Did Paul have all faith? No, he didn't have all faith. He says so that I could remove mountains but have not love. I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned. Did Paul give his body to be burned? He was beheaded. But he's saying, even if I were to do these things, but have not love, it profits me nothing. And here it comes. Go tweet this today. Go Facebook this today. Just take a snapshot in your Bible and Instagram that. Do whatever you got to do. TikTok a video of you praising God and reading this text. Love suffers long and is kind. 
Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is any of this sounding familiar? Does this sound a little bit like something we've talked about today? It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Did you hear that, my friends? Rejoices in the truth. How many people do we have here that like some truth? Okay? Because the Bible talks about those in the last days who do not have a love for the truth, and they'll be turned over to a debased mind in which God will send them strong delusion to believe a lie. Why? Why is that? Oh, that's harsh, Lord. Why would you send a strong delusion for them people to believe a lie? Because they love the lie more than they love God. They love the lie more than they love truth. So, it does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And my goodness, if you stop there and you don't at least read the first three words of verse 8, then you've come short of reading this passage. It all makes sense when you say those last three words. Let's say them together. Beginning of verse 8, love never fails. That was a little weak. Let's try that one more time. Love never fails. That's what humble pie is all about. It's built on the rock. In fact, humble pie is cooked on a rock. So you guys ready for this? In conclusion, the recipe for humble pie, seven cups of Jesus' brain, a.k.a. the mind of Jesus, six cups of anti-self-exaltation, five cups of selflessness, Four cups of willing obedience. Three tablespoons concentrated of meekness. Two concentrated tablespoons of mercy. And one big giant concentrated gallon of endless love. Now, I can give you all those ingredients, but in order for you to make the pie, you got to have instructions. My mom was a master chef. So I, she taught me a little bit of something about cooking. So here's the instructions. You got your ingredients? Got your ingredients? Okay. You mix those ingredients thoroughly. Okay? You grease your heavenly pie pan with some oil of the Spirit because you don't want that sticking. You know, when you get that pie out, you want it all to come out. You don't want, you want to get it all. Line your heavenly pie pan with crust made from the bread of life. Oh, sometimes in order for the Lord to bring us to character perfection, he's got to put us through the heats and trials of this life. And that heat can be often extremely intense. But God knows what's best. So, during this time, I probably should have put at the top, you should preheat your oven to 777 degrees Fahrenheit. You want to bake it until it's golden brown or until the glory of the Lord shines upon it. And you want to eat and enjoy that big old slice of humble pie that will bring you joy, 
spiritual peace, assurance, and righteousness through Jesus Christ our Lord. So my friends, I present to you the not-so-secret recipe for humble pie.